Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. This is Dr. Bill Kanaski. My guest today, dear friend, client, and my uh, Alaska travel agent slash advisor, Brenda Smith from the Dvorak Law Firm in Omaha, Nebraska. Brenda, how are you? Uh, doing well. Good morning. Okay, so I'm going right on my rant that you just created for me over the last 15 minutes about uh, the yeah. So it took us about 15 minutes to get um, counsel uh, logged on to the podcast. What is going on with the Dvorak IT department, or is it the equipment? Was this operator error? What what was the what was the final diagnosis on your your Zoom issues this morning? Uh, I think it was Zoom. I was on Zoom this morning. It was working fine, but you know, I'll take ownership of it. User error. Not sure. Just happy to be here. P pivoting like a bad witness. See, have you not sat in on any of the? Like, have you? Are you paying attention to me when I'm working with witnesses? Mm -hmm. Going right off on a tangent. By the way, you notice what I'm drinking from? Very nice. The the um the Dvorak Yeti that was uh, stolen from me. It was a gift by, by you and your firm after I gave a CLE. I fell in love with it. Fa of course, when I get back with my bag of goodies, um, the family just stole it. Didn't see it for two months. And now I've got it back. So I figured it's most appropriate to drink my coffee this morning from the Yeti. Absolutely. Glad to see you found it again. And the big one you gave me, that's my work. That's the one I fill with my like nutrition drinks. And I take that to the gym. This day's cold. I'm still waiting for the uh, Dvorak um, polo, maybe the hoodie. Come back. Uh, we have to talk talk to the Daves on that one. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Now, but uh, you know, being in um, being in Omaha uh, is a big deal this time of year. Um, I sent you a TikTok link right before uh, we got on. I got to tell you, uh, Matt Rule, listen, uh, that the inside of the uh, new Nebraska locker room is pretty badass. What do you think of that? Absolutely. Very cool. You know, we've we're excited for the new season, new start. Um, we just hope to be relevant again. So our expectations have been adjusted and we're looking forward to the new season. <laughs> Well, listen, Rule is a rebuilder. He's he did it at Baylor. He's gonna do it there. Yeah, you, know, you kicked uh Scott Frost to the curb and uh, you know, new season. Now I went so I have to of course put you on the spot immediately in this podcast. I went right to Caesar's Palace Sportsbook to look up the under okay, 12 games this year, not including a bowl game, 12 games. They have Nebraska at the under over for wins at six and a half. Brenda Smith, are you taking Nebraska under or over the spread? That's six and a half. Over. You're going over. Mm -hmm. Wow, that invite you did not hesitate on that. What what gives you the confidence that Nebraska is, is going to get back into just respectability? Not talking national, you know, presence or just respectability. What do What do you think? New coach buy-in. There's a lot of excitement. And we got to be optimistic, right? It's been a rough 20 plus years. Turning the page, new start. I'm taking the over. Hey, well, that is a confident bet. And I'm looking at the schedule right now. September 30, hosting number two Michigan without Jim Harbaugh because that dirtbag has been suspended. Are we thinking upset with the Michigan or is that just... 
little too um, early for that. I, I mean, I want to give a resounding, of course, but I think we have to be cautiously optimistic. We'll see. I, I will be pulling for the Cornhuskers in that game. No, Fantastic. Wear your Husker gear. Hey, absolutely. I, I need more Husker gear. So when I come back into town, you know, I got to get a, uh, particularly if they, if they, if they hit the over, I may, you may be sending me Husker gear. That's right. All right. We have a lot to cover today. Um, today's topic is really important. Uh, you and I are very active in transportation litigation. And uh, we had a case recently that we're going to talk about, but I want to I start kind of more generally uh, on this topic. And then I want to learn a little bit, want the audience to learn a little bit uh, more about you and the firm. But um, um, you know, preparing drivers, uh, truck drivers for, for deposition uh, is no easy task. And in some of these cases, you, you, I think one of the main worries, you know, is if you have a, a truck driver that's been terminated and they come in angry and they're very emotional, you know, that's one thing that you deal with with these truck drivers. Sometimes, you know, maybe even um, intellectually, you know, you know uh, that that can be a challenge uh, sometimes. Sometimes we have cultural issues if they're foreign born and English isn't there for all kinds of issues with truck drivers. You and I had a, a, um, a, a unique issue. Um, one in which um, our driver that we were preparing uh, for a deposition and a, I'd say a pretty high stakes case um, not only had some emotional um, issues due to the accident, but also had some pretty significant physical issues because he's also injured um, in, in, in the accident. So can you talk to, to our audience about um, the uniqueness of that type uh, um of of situation and you know we, hindsight is 2020 we learned a lot from this but maybe how you approach this case a little bit differently than others you know knowing uh that the driver had those uh two issues and maybe some of the things that you did early to try to start off on the right foot yeah, absolutely. It certainly was a, a, a learning process with, with this particular driver. And um, one thing that, that I feel like we did well was starting extremely early, identifying these issues with both the physical and likely emotional um, challenges that perhaps were going to um, play into prepping this, this, dep this driver for his deposition. You know, you certainly can't start the week before and not even a month before. I think we started having conversations six to eight months before this deposition actually happened. And by conversations, I mean beginning the prep process with the driver. Um, so you have to start way earlier than than you likely normally even would if you are even, you know, super proactive. And then also making sure through the deposition process, when you're prepping them, you are continually checking in with this driver to see how they're doing both from their physical and their emotional injuries that they may have as a result of the collision. Yeah, let, let's let's talk about that. So a very early start. Um, talk about, because I, I think with, with any case, with any witness, what witnesses tell me is, I want to put, I want this out of my life. I'm not thinking about this. It's on the, I'm doing everything I can to distract myself. And then my email, my text, my phone starts lighting up from an attorney. And, you know, it's, it's not a positive thing when an attorney is calling you. So um, particularly with this situation, again, we had somebody that had some pretty significant uh, emotional reactions from the accident also had significant um, physical um, um, you know, injuries uh, and, and pain and going to physical therapy. We'll talk about that 
a little later. But on those initial calls, talk about how you know you really got to feel out these drivers because sometimes you get a lot of pushback, you get some of that emotion. Uh, maybe they they want to pretend like this is is not happening. Can you kind of go over kind of your tactics on those first couple of calls? Again, to get the ball rolling in the right way and not get the defend the the, the driver you know defensive or or, or angry at you uh, because we all knew this was moving forward regardless of whether he whether he liked it or not. Yeah, so I think you know initially in those those first few times you you contact the driver, you really have to take the time to build rapport, and sometimes that just includes letting them vent about what happened. Um, yeah. You know. Potentially, they may not be employed by the trucking company any longer. If there were criminal charges, um, there may be strong feelings of either still continuing through that process or the way that that process was resolved. And so sometimes it's just being a good listener and letting them, you know, get whatever off their chest that they need to and continually to reassure them that you're on the same team, you have the same interests and that you're going to be with them through the entire process. Now, of course, there's unique situations where maybe that won't happen. But if that's the case, building that rapport to let them know that you're there and you're not going anywhere, and, and you're going to make sure that you're walking step by step with them through the process, that can be really reassuring to them. Yeah, to say, hey, we've got a team for you. We're here for you. And we're more than j just attorneys. You know, we're, 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 we're here to help you if you need to to vent and things like that. Now, I think that's a critical part of this process that oftentimes gets gets rushed. And then the defense counsel does not develop that bond um, with the defense team. And that can lead to disaster um, down the road. Can you talk a little about in this particular case, we'll, we'll go over kind of the, the, the general kind of case facts um, about how us developing that bond, because remember, we're especially early on this in this prep and training process we're asking some pretty tough questions like about the driver's past you know <laughs> have you ever been arrested have you ever had other legal and these are questions you absolutely have to have just radical trust and openness and honesty and some of these things are um are difficult can you talk can can you talk about you know that process and 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 how with this driver and and, and with others um you have to form that trust because you're going to be asking these pretty difficult questions. And if you don't get the honesty and like in this particular case, you know, sometimes on session three, you get one answer and then session five, you're getting more information. Can you just talk about that process? Yeah, I think, you know, the punchline is in this particular case, we were asking those hard questions, but the answers we were getting in some of the initial sessions weren't the same as we got in the later sessions. Yeah. And the later set, the answers in the later sessions are the ones that we absolutely needed to know because those were the ones that were completely forthcoming. So we could do what we could to make sure that our witness was fully prepped for that. But to answer your question, how do you get there? It really goes back to building that rapport. So in this particular case with Bill, obviously with your assistance, we would spend a significant amount of time checking in on his physical and emotional well-being at the beginning of every meeting. Everyone. And sometimes that would take an hour or more, things that typically you would just skip over. But that's really where we built the rapport and were able to learn the information of a lot of the struggles that this driver was going through so that we could best try and help set him up for success in his deposition down the road. And we would do these check-ins every single session at the beginning. Sometimes you would do them again after lunch, 
I'm yeah. sure we'll get to this, but we would show him as something, some something in evidence that would be triggering for him. So then we're having to, you know, check in again. But because we went through that process and took that time, we were able to build that rapport that we needed to with him to not only help him address some of these struggles he was having post-collision, but also get honest feedback and answers for some of these very difficult questions. Yeah. You know, tell us about your criminal past. Have you ever been arrested? What other challenges have you had with other trucking companies and different things like that? Yeah, it's crucial. And I can tell you, after 20 years of doing this, emotional barriers are the number one barrier to success with your witnesses. In a lot of these cases, if I get called in late, the defense attorney will tell me ahead of time, like, I'm not getting anywhere. You know, this person's not listening to me. They don't care about the process. They're indifferent or they're apathetic. And then I come in and like that, we're starting to see improvements. And the defense defense attorney is like, how in the hell did you do that? I said, well... (laughs) I've assessed and removed the emotional barrier that obviously you didn't bother to ask about, or you didn't really dig into. And then, cause you're not going to be able to make any progress with the witness if those barriers are there. And if they're not going to tell you about the barrier because they don't trust you, that's going to be a problem. So we, I mean, we took baby steps with this witness and it was really, really important, but it did set up an environment. And again, like you said, at the beginning of every session and even intercession we kept repeatedly assessing that so if an emotional barrier or trigger you know came up um you know we could uh we could we, we could deal with that um and that's a lot of work <laughs> that's a lot of work it's oftentimes skipped and that's where a lot of failure occurs so brenda can you kind of just set up kind of the general because this is a pretty common issue in transportation uh, litigation this type of accident kind of set up the case facts and then we'll kind of go through you know um, what we did in our training to get the best outcome you know really uh, possible given the situation Yes, like you said, it's something that we routinely see in 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 the trucking industry where on a freeway or an interstate, traffic has slowed or stopped due to some incident, accident, construction up ahead. And unfortunately, our driver did not slow or stop at the same speed that that the rest of traffic was. Um, so rear-ended the vehicle in front of him that caused a chain reaction um, that led to some pretty significant injuries for the other drivers as well as our driver. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there was some pretty strong evidence that that showed what actually happened at the time of the collision as well. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was it was a uh, definitely um, a tough accident. Uh, and there was everything was on uh, videotape, um, which, you know, which is interesting because that is the emotional um, trigger. And you saw it. I mean, when we would show you know, and I, th- I think what we did again, and this is a technique I developed long ago, is I think the first time we did it, we just showed kind of still shots. <laughs> like we had the video and we didn't just, hey, play the video and watch you, you know, crashing into people and causing catastrophic injuries. That's that's too much too early. So I know what we do is we put the video up there and we kind of jumped ahead still by still by still to kind of show it the first time and then a couple more times and then until we actually um you know played uh the video and that was a really important part um you know i think i think of this uh process now one of the things that you and i saw after playing uh, the the video the video was very triggering which is totally totally expected it was emotional triggering um 
And sometimes you get emotion as far as, you know, sorrow and guilt and, and things like that. But sometimes you get more of a defensive trigger. And what we saw with our witness was, hey, wait, maybe this is not my fault. Like, look at this car, like, like this car, this car got in the way. It is this car's fault. Do you want to talk a little bit about how we had to work through that? <laughs> and we, I wasn't expecting that. I don't think anybody was, but until you watch the video, uh, to handle some of his defensiveness, to, to reel him back in to say, now, hold on here. You know, we, we can't say that. And here's why. Yes, it, to your point, it was extremely triggering. And um, when this individual went through something like this, there was not much recollection of what actually happened. And so when the video is shown, it's almost like that couldn't have happened. Yeah. The little bit that I do remember, it had not it looked nothing like that. So looking for every possibility in this video of what could have happened that resulted ultimately in this collision. So looking at every, all of the external surroundings around, around the semi to see, okay, what did someone else do that maybe caused me to react the way I did? And some of these theories to your point were rather far-fetched, yeah. but rather than just say, there's absolutely no way that that could have happened, walking it through step-by-step step so he could reach the same conclusion but in a much longer drawn out process to help him work through all of these reactions, emotional reactions that he was, that he had to seeing this yeah. event being played in front of him. I mean, honestly, at some points over and over and over again, which is important for desensitization, but also to keep their head straight. I mean, Brenda, I mean, just wild, not wild guess, but give me your, how many times did we show him that video? Over a hundred. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, we, we had to. We had yeah. to because we knew that that's what Plans Council was going to do. Now, okay, so not that, yeah, so this is difficult enough as it is, right? Now let's throw in, talk about what you had to do and on two issues. One was we had to make sure we got him the proper medical care and physical therapy because he had a pretty significant, uh, let's just call it a, lower limb injury right and um he took a pretty good shot to the head too right so we're dealing with that and we're dealing with you know a lot of pain issues talk about what you had to do um to juggle making sure he was getting the right medical care so that he wasn't coming into his sessions you know overwhelmed with pain which by the way he did many sessions and then also the massive struggle we had we're trying to get a tough truck driver the actual psychological treatment slash support that he needed. Yes, there were a lot of um, variables going on here. <laughs> yes. So, yes, I mean, it went back first and foremost to building rapport with this driver and letting him know that we were on his side. We were all on the same team and we were going to do um, what we could to help help him through this. So, uh, yes, it was, you know, obviously being an advocate for him, but also when you're doing the check-ins and he's talking about his physical injuries and his pain, you know, giving him, you know, helpful suggestions in terms of, well, have you done this? Maybe you should follow up with this person. Have you, have you talked to your doctor about this? And just, you know, reminding him that unfortunately, you know, these injuries aren't cured overnight and it will take some time. Um, but as it would relate to the physical injuries, also setting the proper parameters around his deposition to yeah. make sure that, you know, he wasn't, you know, sitting longer than he needed to and whatnot. And we'll probably come back to that. But then on yeah. the emotional injuries, 
um, you hit the nail on the head. You have, you know, your stereotypical truck driver. Um, I'm fine. I don't need any help with my mental health. And so really working through that and um, you know, at, at some point, what becomes helpful in this process is not only to have Bill, someone with your training involved, but yes. also not being afraid to pull in outside professionals as well, whether sure. that's additional um, health care providers for his physical injuries or maybe a psychologist or psychiatrist so he can be evaluated to see if there are um, more significant underlying issues that obviously I'm not qualified to diagnose or treat. But then the challenge becomes if they are not willing to go yeah. um, seek that additional help that you think that they might be needed, doing what you can with obviously the training or tools that we have to be able to help them work through through the process. And again, that goes back to starting as early as possible yeah. to make sure that you have time to identify these potential issues and then being able to do what you can to hopefully help the driver through them. Yeah. So in our uh, instance um he was accepting all the physical medicine things that we were you know he was pretty adherent to uh to them as far as physical therapy uh did have a lot of pain on some days so we would check with that and just like the real depth the way we set it up we took a lot of breaks during our during our prep and and, and training sessions to let him walk around let him stay loose um, on the psychology stuff, um, as you recall, very early on this process. Now, again, I don't have a patient provider relationship with these people. I have, a, I have a consulting relationship through you and your law firm. So, but it was it was pretty obvious through my checklist of the P, which by which by the way, this happens in a lot of these cases. Um, of the ten things, uh, <laughs> uh, the ten symptoms of PTSD, he like checked the box on seven of them. I mean, it was it was pretty obvious. Um, yet denied that he was having any problems. Right. And so, you know, we, and, and this is again, not, not surprising, uh, didn't really want any treatment, uh, in, in that regard, you know, tough guy, truck driver. So pretty obvious. So much of our sessions had that we had to visit and then revisit constantly his emotional status, you know, let him vent. So it made it, it slowed the process down. But that's what it was. And I I'll, I will guarantee you this. If we were to rush this process or cut the number of sessions in half, I think it would have epically failed at his at his deposition. Now, Brenda, I know that you were keeping a tally. I'm not sure if you still did. Total number of prep sessions with this driver. It was in uh, the 20s, right? I mean, way more than I have ever prepped anyone for a deposition. That's accurate. It was in the 20s. But, you know, a few comments on that one. This was obviously a very unique situation um, yeah. that, you know, I feel very strongly that all of this was warranted. But secondly, I mean, quite frankly, kudos to my client who saw where we were, yep. what we needed to do and the value in the process to be able to get him ready to sit for his deposition. I mean, obviously a lot of clients aren't going to, to be able to do that or willing to do that, but because we kept our client apprised and we had buy-in from our client, that's why we were able to do everything that we were able to. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's huge. Um, we, we had, we had a client um, that was dedicating to doing this the right way was willing to, um, you know, put in the investment uh, to do that, whatever it was going to take. And um, I think that's really important. One other thing before we talk about the ultimate outcome here, um, what describe to me, because this was, I mean, talk about juggling multiple things here that really have nothing to do with legal stuff, right? Um, and this happens a lot in these cases where 
you have a driver that feels terrible that this happened and that's what ours did um and the kind of fear that maybe the driver has about how ownership feels about them now right and and and, and there there was a challenge here because i think a lot of drivers are like you know the company hates me now right they they, they want to hang me out to drive they want to blame me for everything and then you have an owner that obviously is not happy the driver got into an accident but is caring and, and it does want to and there was kind of there's in this case and other cases maybe a a gap in the understanding and 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 how did you bring these two parties together to get them on the same page so that your driver is not worried day in day out everybody hates me you know i'm a i'm a terrible person the, the company's rejecting me they're going to hang me out to dry how did you eliminate those issues yeah, there was definitely the feeling by the driver that he let the company down and particularly the owners. And so, again, during the process, you know, I could reiterate to him what I knew that the, the owners truly felt. Um, but what was really most impactful was to have an opportunity for the driver and the owners to sit down face to face and have that conversation and to reassure the driver. Again, the things that we were already telling him, but we're on the same team. Bill, to your point, obviously our preference would be not for this to happen, yeah. but it unfortunately did. We will get through this together. We're on the same team. And we actually did that because this prep was so lengthy at a couple different important junctures or um, times during the prep. And they really, I mean, that was way more impactful than hearing it from me or hearing it from someone yeah. else to hear it directly from the owners face to face um, certainly helped the driver kind of move past some of those, those, those strong feelings that he was having. Yeah. So communication, get everybody on the same page. Um, we, I know we put a lot of work into that um, and that, and that, that was another important part of it. So as you can see, and we're going to talk about what happened uh, in the depth next and talk about you know, generally uh, the outcome, because in this particular case, it, it was not one of these, hey, this, yeah, this, this, this driver has potential to do great things in this. No, 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 no. This was a, we need to get to the other side of this minefield <laughs> without stepping on multiple landmines to just, you know, keep our head above water just a survival. That's what type of depth this was because it was a bad case and a tough witness and a very competent uh, plaintiff attorney. So we just trying to get through, um, through the other end, but it's very clear. And again, it's not going to happen on all cases, but you need to figure out the hoops that we jumped through and the, the effort that, I mean, this is a monumental effort uh, that was very complex, required an extraordinary amount of time for this particular situation. And I think the problem that I see often is that some, some defense counsel don't figure that out until they're right before the depth. And they're like, Oh shit. Like, man, my guy's got psychological problems. Oh man, my guy's really hurting, you know, physically from the pain and you get to the depth and the wheels come off because you haven't put in all that work up front and that's a very difficult position to be in but we put in the work so kind of generally tell us you know how we did uh during the depth some of the things that you did particularly calling for breaks and stuff like that and what the kind of general outcome uh, was yeah so to your point we had to kind of readjust our our expectations of the deposition 
to, to know that this was not going to be the best deposition that we have ever seen. But again, our goal was to avoid the landmines. We knew there were, could potentially be a few missteps along the way. Those were expected. But again, you know, relying on the prep and what we had done um, to get us to that point. So we had set up some, some um, I guess, expectations as it would relate to the deposition with plaintiff's counsel ahead of time in terms of the length of the deposition, how frequently we would take breaks and whatnot, um, particularly um, that was driven by his physical injuries. So making sure that that's set up ahead of time and so you're not trying to suddenly take frequent breaks during the deposition and then having to deal with whatever reaction you may receive from plaintiff's counsel. Um, but ultimately, his deposition went as well as we were hoping for or expecting. Yeah. I'm sure there were a few minor missteps along the way, but ultimately it did not have any um, adverse reaction on the case. And because of the prep that we put in you know, over these various months, um, he performed as we expected, which was was the was the most that we could hope for or expect from him, given all of these variables or factors that we were trying to juggle during his deposition. Yeah, it was tough. And to get there, and again, we're we're not saying you have to do all of this on every single case. We're not saying that, but I think an appropriate assessment of the situation and 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 the witness and building that trust to really know what you're dealing with is key. And if you don't do that really thorough assessment up front, some of the stuff's going to come back to haunt you. And it could come back to haunt you, not just right before the death, during the death, mm -hmm. where your driver's saying stuff and you're like, what the hell is that? Right? Right. Now, Never heard that before. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now, one of the crucial parts of this, and I'm going to move on, is um, the two real issues we had in our prep sessions. And we knew we we're going to be major issues during the death. But we did have some control over it based on how we set it up and the ability to take more frequent breaks was a combination of fatigue and pain. And I remember during our mock questioning sessions, it was frustrating because you could see him physically wear down and then mentally wear down. And he would start saying really bad stuff. I remember I mean, there's a couple of times I would, you know, I'd be like, stop, stop. What do you stop? What do you? I'd yell at him. Right. And I felt bad. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what, what, what are you doing? We've never heard like, that before. Like, where where did that come like, from? Where, where, what, what are you doing? And you could just right. see the hands on the face and just the physical wearing down. So we knew that was going to be an issue. And by the way, with any witness, trucking or not, any you get a witness, I mean, pain messes up cognition. Okay. Fatigue really, I mean, I wrote a paper on this, right? I mean, it messes up cognition. You got pain and fatigue. The ability of your witnesses to think straight is not going to be for an extended period of time. And so what we learned very quickly and set up our prep sessions was that, hey, this guy's got about 30 minutes. And after 30 minutes of sitting there, the pain sits in and then the fatigue, right, of dealing with the pain and dealing with the questions is, is a big, big deal and a huge um, factor here. And we were able to, you know, deal with that, um, set up the breaks the right way, Get a positive outcome. And again, some remember positive outcomes can be defined differently on a case-to-case -case basis. And it sounds like we had one here. Um, yeah, I, I think that of my 20-year career, I spent more time with that witness with you. <laughs> um, Same. And 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 we did it. And we did mm -hmm. it. But it's just the general, but I think the general point here is regardless uh of this particular case, the the more effort that's put up you know, in preparation, 
most likely the statistical odds of good things happening during the death is up there. And if you're waiting too long or your client's telling you, that's why I think you need to talk to your clients to talk about the importance of this. And we were fortunate that our client got it, right? Our client got it. Um, some clients don't don't get it. They just want is what well, come on, toughen up, right? Toughen up, right? Well, that this is not <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I wish it did. Uh, but it doesn't work like that. So it was, again, it was a pleasure working with you on that case. And we've had other cases before. And I can't wait, I, I can't wait till the, uh, till the, to the future ones. Now, let me, now let me shift issues because um, I've brought up your name and your firm several times on the podcast. So it's about time you finally got uh, on the podcast. Um, and, and there's this controversy um, over this, this cracker issue. Now this came up and Steve Wood and I talked about this now the the trisket is the superior cracker in the in the trisket and in, in the in the cracker world i mean trisket i mean they're the georgia bulldogs of track of of crackers i mean if you like cardboard yes they are by no, far no 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 those, to those, all no, other no, crackers no. The, the 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 olive oil and rosemary trisket cracker <laughs> is the best thing going on and you're like you voted ritz right well okay remember Cheese and crackers, Brenda. This is not complicated. Well, 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 hold on. It was cracker. You didn't say that there would be toppings. It, it depends. Who eats crackers without right? toppings? Who, who who just sits there and eats crackers? No one does that. You're who eats crackers dip, anyway? Dip, the, the whole topic. Cheese and crackers. And your Nebraska pre... Something tells me in your Nebraska pregame parties, you're going to have some cheese and crackers. And are you beef. actually going to put Ritz out there for your neighbors and we friends to come over? We don't mess around with crackers. <sighs> You just go right to the okay. So it's just an Omaha thing. You just have big chunks yep. of meat. Yep. I on a stand cutting by board. this by my if, if you're doing plain crackers, the Ritz all the way. If it's like a conduit for some toppings or something, then then I don't know. Maybe the cardboard wins. But okay, so I stand by my answer. Here. Okay, so okay, so you're wrong on that. So I'm gonna put a big X or right there. And the next one, um, with chicken, are, are you okay with chicken wings in Omaha? Can we go down that road? I, I mean, mean come on. We, we can talk about them if you want. We yeah. can talk about them. And if you're going to have ranch or blue cheese, which one's superior? It's a very simple question, counsel. Uh, you know, you are by far in the minority with your blue cheese. It's ranch all it's, the way. Oh, okay. That Okay. So you're oh for, I'm just keep, I'm writing this down. Okay. So you're oh for two. All right. So that's bill two. Brenda zero. Okay. Put it to oh. the listeners. I think, I think the right. listeners will be supportive of my. No, 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 no. They, I, I got emails about how great Triscus were after that episode. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm just going to keep going down the list. Uh, Cause Go I ahead. just want to, I want to get to know you more, uh, Brenda. Um, okay. So sandwich, you're making a sandwich, right? You have your choice, ham or Turkey, which is superior. Well, why can't we do both? Because you're forced into a decision. I'm going to object, uh, move to strike your answers, not responsive. You're forced into one or the other. See both. You can't do that. You can't do that. Okay. Turkey, so say we, Turkey. Okay. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. All right. All right. Brenda Smith, one point. Finally, you got on the scoreboard. I, I, I thought Great. we were going to go through. <laughs> I thought this was going to go through. You're going to get zero. Okay. Now on said sandwich, you're forced into a decision. Mustard or mayonnaise? Both. Smith, you're killing me. You you can't. I'm just telling you. you just it comes with one or the other. Yeah, is there one over here that you mayonnaise. have to pick one? Oh, 
Okay, so we got she's one correct, three wrong. Well, that's this is this kind of looks like Nebraska's opening schedule, actually. <laughs> one and three. Ouch. Okay. Ouch. Here, here we go. I got two more for you. Okay. Okay. Hey, I, and, and don't say swirl. You're forced into the decision. It's vanilla or chocolate ice cream. Give it to me, Brenda. Vanilla. Okay. Ding, 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 ding. Wow, you're on the board again. All right, two, 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 two. You know, you're, you're, you know. Two yeses for you. You only got three wrong. Now you can tie this. You can, you can, you can actually finish five hundred here and okay. save yourself and your and your personal and professional reputation with this last question: coffee, black, or you're putting cream and or sugar in it? Oh, definitely black. Oh, there we go. Ding, ding, ding. Congrats. Okay, you finished. You know, five hundred. You got Perfect. half the questions right. So I'm because if yeah, if you because you know my 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 family. Wife and the, they they put all this junk in it. It's not even it's not even coffee when they're done no. with it. It's some. It's like your triscuits after you put all the toppings on them. It's not triscuits anymore. Now, exactly, exactly. Well, I thought this was a great episode and really, you know, highlighted well a couple of things. Number one, um, w- witness witness prep and training is so important. Number one. But also, um, and not to toot my own horn here, but I do think on some of these matters, it's important to have a consultant because of the you know psych- psychology training, clinical psychology, neuropsychology, because there are some of these things that as defense counsel, you may not be able to detect or you may not be able to dig as deep as somebody like me to really find out what's going on with the witness, because the more you know, the better you can, you know, you can you can prep them because the last thing you, again that you want is a surprise in the middle of the deposition with your witness saying crazy things. And then it turns out, you know, they had some anxiety over some topic or some issue. They never shared that with you because either you never asked or, or they never, you know, they, they didn't trust you or something like that. So, um, all right. So yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, you obviously brought a different skill set and qualifications that the defense team couldn't. So it was a great team effort to be able to get him fully prepped for his deposition. Okay, so let's finish. So if Brenda Smith was not was not an attorney, what would you be? What was there something else before law? Like I was very big into sports medicine and physical therapy. So if, if law school didn't work out, like what was Brenda Smith going to be? You know, I was one of those people that thought I was always going to go to law school. And fortunately, once I figured out what that meant, I still wanted to go. But if you're going to force me into an answer. Yes, I am. Um, I think I probably would have been a vet. Well, I tell you what, I tell you what, speak. I just, okay, downstairs, I'm going through right before this podcast, by the way, which is why I'm a little so energetic. I'm going through the credit card bill with my wife because we do that once a month because I have to look at, okay, what bullshit charges are on here? You know, my kids like Chick-fil-A, 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 you know, and I scream at my kids. And then I start to see the 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 vet charges. Brett, you used to be rolling around in cash right now. I, I th- this We'd be doing this podcast on your yacht. That's what is what we'd be doing if you were if you went <laughs> could to have been could have been just, I'm just handing them over bonus checks. It's just this is all they do. I got three pets. They so just multiply that out. Wow. I don't know. That's hey, that, that would have been I would tell my kids, hey, go to vet school. Would you tell your kids go to vet school? I would. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. So finish up. Give us an introduction of the Dvork Law Firm. You guys are in Omaha. Tell us. Um, tell us about the firm and the types of cases that you guys tend to work on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Dvorak Law Group was founded about eight years ago. We split off from a larger firm here in Omaha, six of us. Uh, since then, we've grown to over 40 lawyers, five different locations, full service business law firm. Um, but particularly for litigation, we represent um, all types of businesses or industries um, and then also do some pretty significant estate, probate, and trust disputes as well. Um, but full service business firm um, can handle anything any of the businesses would need. It is a fantastic law firm that I have worked with multiple times, and I look forward to the next time. Brenda Smith, thank you so much for coming on. This was yeah, fun. So much. Definitely, ha- definitely, definitely going to have you back on because we're doing more panels where I can get you and a couple other people on and uh, discuss, you know, current issues. Uh, this is the only podcast of its of its type, and so we want to get all this information out there off the defense bar. And to our audience, thank you for participating in another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. We'll see you next time.